to the Career Medis Podcast. I'm your host, Nisar Ahmad, and I am the founder and editor of the blog, careermedis.com. And this is episode 43 of the Career Medis Podcast. And for today's uh, episode, I'm interviewing Robert McGuire from uh, Nation 1099. Uh, Nation 1099 is a web publication for entrepreneurial independent contractors. If you have heard or are part of the gig economy, then this interview is definitely for you. A little bit about Robert himself, Uh, he operates McGuire Editorial Content Marketing Agency, which helps B2B and SaaS companies create effective content marketing strategy. Uh, I'm sure Robert will share his experience working with solopreneurs, his experience as a content marketer, and also more about Nation 1099 as we get on with this interview. So, hey Robert, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. The one of the first questions I always ask because I've had guests from all over. Where are you calling from? Uh, New Haven, Connecticut, in the U.S. Can you share with the listeners and myself something about New Haven that most people do not know about unless they have lived there or visited there? Well, anybody who's lived here or visited, and maybe folks who haven't know that we're famous for our pizza. Pizza didn't uh, start here in New Haven in the U.S., but it was one of the first places to have a pizza restaurants, and it's a real uh, cult of pizza loving has grown up here. So whenever you come to visit, you have to make the rounds to a few uh, key pizza places. We are the home of Yale University, one of the largest and most prestigious universities in the world, and that creates a really interesting relationship with the city that uh, means there's a lot of culture and art and opportunity, an entrepreneurial opportunity here. Uh, So many people in town are associated one way or another with Yale University, not everybody, but many. And one thing that a lot of people may not know is we have this art festival in the summer called the International Festival of Arts and Ideas. And this is not your typical summer concert festival. They're really interesting popular musicians that come as part of this festival, but it also has really interesting creative theater and dance, and they call it the International Festival of Arts and Ideas because there are lots of lectures and forums, so it's really provocative and inspiring. It's sort of like this two-week-long TED Talk mixed with lots of great music and art and theater. Thanks for sharing that. First of all, I did not know about the importance of pizza in New Haven. <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, oh, that's 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 more important than Yale, even. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, and uh, unless most most people really, everybody, I'm sure, in North America and even globally has heard of Yale University. A lot of uh, important research has come out of there. Uh, it's mentioned as one of the top universities globally, but I'm sure many people have not connected the dots where, where it is. So that's great. Thanks for sharing. I always like to ask that question because it just uh, gives me a little bit perspective on uh, different places around the world. So that's awesome. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I enjoy hearing that. I've been listening to your episodes recently, and I was hearing about that from your guests. I was anticipating that question, to be honest. <laughs> so you, came, you came in well prepared, so that was yeah. well uh, well answered there. Right? 
My next question obviously is going to be about you before we get into uh, more about uh, what your what your company does. I always like to hear from the guests as well. Um, you run a content marketing agency. As I was speaking to you before before this interview, you also mentioned you have some experience in journalism. I'm really curious. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I uh, grew up in the Midwest and went away to college, a small, small liberal arts college. Uh, I thought I would become a professor of English. That's where uh, my passion lie when I was younger. And I started graduate school to really do a scholarly path in English literature. And that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. Graduate school and I didn't uh, suit one another. And as many of your listeners know, the academic job market is very difficult. So after a few years, I um, gave up on that and I kind of stumbled into journalism. And I, it was since then, it's been 20 years or more. Boy, it's getting on to close to 25 years. I've made my living one way or another with a pen or a keyboard uh, as a writer. Much of that time, Early on was as a newspaper reporter and then a freelance writer. I had a period for about five years where I started out doing marketing for nonprofits. I was always freelancing for nonprofits like newsletters. All of this is before the web newsletters and brochures. And then I had a job as, as a marketing associate in a nonprofit and worked for several years in the nonprofit world. And then I left that about 10 years ago to return to freelancing. And the freelancing kind of evolved over time where it was – you know, not writing this marketing copy, but writing success stories and client success stories for nonprofits. And then it was writing helpful information that my clients wanted to put out. So it was what became known as content marketing. Content marketing, as your listeners probably know, is really where you're giving away authoritative and highly valuable information uh, in order to attract people instead of interrupting them and bombarding them with ads in your message. So I kind of stumbled into that without really knowing what it was. And I was also starting my own websites just because I, I was talking to a friend recently and I said, I think that I might be a frustrated publisher at heart. Like what I really want to want to do is put together magazines and newspapers. But what I've ended up doing is putting together websites. And in, when I do that, I kind of install myself in this role of publisher where I'm convening other folks instead of me being the main blogger on these websites. And I started one a few years ago that led to people asking me, hey, will you do this for our website? And that evolved into the business I have now where I was being asked to run websites to convene other writers to do a lot of writing myself, but really to act as like the managing editor. And that's how I've developed my business, my content marketing agency, where we develop content strategy and then produce all the content for our clients. So that's about me. And while I'm doing that, I have been an independent contractor. My clients often work with hybrid teams. So I'm connecting with other independent contractors in order to serve my clients. And then I needed to sub out and hire independent contractors, freelancers, a variety of uh, in a variety of roles myself for my business. And that led me to paying attention very closely to this growing gig economy. Thanks for the introduction. What I heard from your story is it evolved. Your career has evolved from one thing to another right here. So now, speaking of the gig economy, you have lived the gig economy. You have, you have been on the, that person who has done independent contracts. And now you got to a point where you're helping others run their successful independent contracting careers. So I'm really curious, actually, I wanted to hear, hear your version. We hear this gig economy a lot. And I believe everyone has a different spin on it. So what are your thoughts? What exactly does gig economy mean to you? 
Yeah, well, the term is being used a lot in the last couple of years because of the growth of really the on-demand economy and the supplier side of that on-demand economy are people who are freelance or in a consulting role or a 1099 role, right? In the in the U.S., the 1099 refers to the tax form that people get when they are not salaried or on earning a wage, but when they're independent. So that term has blown up in the last couple of years because the on-demand economy has uh, grown up. But really, I forget the data, but I saw recently that that is still sort of a fraction of the total gig economy. And what interests me is this larger group of what I would characterize as professional and creative class workers who are working on a gig basis. You might call it a project basis and who are increasingly do it, doing it by choice. I think that traditionally people think of freelancers as folks who have of flamed out or, uh, or, or in between jobs. And when I was building my business, I realized, boy, that, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to get back into the workplace. I don't want to go, uh, go back to <laughs> being an employee. And I know a lot of people like that. So I realized that there was this sort of other way of thinking about these professional and creative class workers that was more freelance by choice. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there actually is a very large population of these people. So when people say gig economy, they mean a variety of things. What interests me the most are people with sort of professional and creative skills and working at that level. Robert, thanks for talking about the gig economy. A little bit of my two, a little bit, uh, if I can say my two cents, I worked for a while in recruiting and one of the things I found out was there were these individuals who were in transition and they were looking for something contract or a freelance position until they get their next full-time position. But that I also started meeting an increasing number of individuals who were only interested in doing contract or freelance projects because they seem to be enjoying the variety. So my next question is going to be, speaking of the gig economy, I sense it's not for everyone. Uh, perhaps you have a different uh, spin on that. What are your thoughts about what type of personality or skill set you need to have mm. to be part of the gig economy? Well, what kind of skill sets or what kind of personality? You know, obviously independent um, and maybe uh, uh, proud of it. And uh, we thought about when we were f forming to Nation 1099, the website, and starting it up, we thought about taking this kind of cheeky, aggressive tone like, you know, we are – we're unemployable and proud of it or something like that. And that's not necessarily true. I think it's a range of people, right? You, you just mentioned there are folks who are freelance because that's working for them temporarily. There are folks who are freelance because they see that's going to be the best thing for them. So it's really a range of people. One of the interesting things is how uh, hard it is to get real numbers about them. In 2001, it was Daniel Pink had this book out called Free Agent Nation. He was looking at this trend early on. And in many, many ways, he was saying exactly what we're talking about now and what we talk about on Nation 1099 about this growing population of people who just prefer project-based work. Uh, even in workplace, even employees, right, who are on salary, their work is more and more organized around projects. And the more you kind of work that way, the more it makes sense for you to be getting full value out of your services by selling them freelance, perhaps. 
And when Daniel Pink was writing this book, when he published the book, he had this section in it where he talked about how, how hard it was to actually put numbers to this trend. It was sort of a sense he had. Uh, and he talked about how the official government statistics here in the U.S., it's the Bureau, uh, Bureau of Labor St- Statistics, the BLS. And BLS, for good reasons, they want to have longitudinal data so they don't go changing their categories on a whim. Um, so the categories have sort of existed for generations. And essentially what they measure are far farm employment, non-farm employment, and if you're an employee, employer, um, a company owner who employs people. And there aren't a lot of fine gradations in their data beyond that, except uh, with in, in industry. So if you're a non-farm employee, you might be in manufacturing or service or hospitality or uh, retail or whatever it is. And in 2001, Daniel Pink is pointing out, boy, you really they're not capturing the folks who are freelance in between jobs either – by choice or because by circumstances, circumstances to put them there. So as I was preparing our website, Nation 1099, I went to find look for the data and I sort of discovered the same thing that you can't get very good numbers. So if you start researching, you'll see some of the same numbers come up frequently that something like a third of the population is doing gig, gig work. That includes a lot of people are sort of doing it as a side hustle part time. Let me find this. Oh, and McKin- here it is. I'm, I printed it out, so you'll hear the paper rattling. It's not on the tip of my tongue. McKinsey Global Institute did this survey last fall in the U.S. and Europe, and they found that in the, in the U.S. and Europe, 62 million people uh, were doing some kind of independent work. So that's 20 to 30 percent of the working age population in, in the U.S. and Europe. So that includes a lot of people who, like I say, are doing side hustles. And I was just looking at this survey this morning from Stack Overflow that is really – your listeners probably know Stack Overflow is the site for uh, developer software developers. And they did a survey of software developers around the world. And they found about 10 percent of the folks that they surveyed were freelance. And uh, that's probably a better measure of how many people are really doing it full time. That's exactly the reason I asked the question because the data is all over the place, but I think uh, the, uh, you've given some insight. And those insights cover people who start off as a side hustle as well. So there is, uh, it's hard to get the data, right? Like if you're looking for strictly people who are in the, side econ- uh, the gig economy, it's hard to get, but it makes sense because they try to collect the high-level data. Yeah. Okay, so now we got an understanding about the the gig economy, what freelancing is. I want to spend the rest of the interview talking a little bit more about Nation 1099. So if I'm a freelancer and I come to 1099, what do I get? Well, we thought of it as sort of three main categories. I think of it as operations, like what is an invoice? I think probably a lot of your listeners, if they're freelance or consulting, they had the experience that almost all of us have is we get a client and we start selling our services for the first time. We might be novices really in that. And we might, I mean, we, we know our skill. We know the, the domain we're working in. I'm a writer, an editor. It might be a software developer or a designer or whatever. So we're maybe, maybe, maybe very skilled at that, but we know nothing about business. The very first time we get a client and the client says, send me an invoice. And our response is, what is an invoice? So a lot of what's on uh, Nation 1099 is that operations stuff, how to do a scope of work, how to buy health insurance, how to find an accountant and bookkeeper, all of that stuff on operations. The second main category, and this is what interested me the most, was really strategy discussions. So it's really – I think of it as like Harvard Business Review for freelancers. And what inspired it was in my case, you know, as I was growing my agency – 
I was looking around for insight and advice about how to do this in a very entrepreneurial and strategic way. And there is a vast literature of management and entrepreneurship literature out there. And almost all of that literature is targeting major corporations in the case of Harvard Business Review or small and medium sized businesses in the case of a magazine like Inc. or Fast Company or Fortune magazine. But there really wasn't a literature for the solopreneur on how to be strategic in building your business. So that was the second main category that I wanted to make sure and cover on the site. And the third is more inspiration and getting centered and facing the fear. So it's more, it's more like the lifestyle category, like how to actually make this life work for you and how to manage the emotional part of it. Okay, great. So why don't we spend a little bit of time on each of them? Because uh, I think all of them are very, very important. So I think it'll be good to start with number three, the inspiration side, because when it comes to any type of job search or a project search, there's a lot, it is challenging to sometimes when you do not, when you go through months or weeks without any projects. So what do you recommend? Like what would be your top ideas or tips for someone who's starting out as in the gig economy or a freelancer? What would, what are your recommendations? Well, the top top recommendation, um, you know, I wish what I'd had was some advice and handholding from friends. Yeah, part of what inspired this was I maybe by coincidence, maybe it's kind of something special here in New Haven. We were talking a little earlier about what's special about New Haven. And partly it's, you know, there are a lot of folks like me in my neighborhood. I'm, you know, I go to the bar, I go to the coffee shop, I go to the farmer's market on Sunday and I meet my friends and we're often talking about similar things. They, there might be, I have one friend who's an industrial engineer, but he does that on a freelancer consulting basis and he's trying to grow his business. And another friend who is a designer who's been doing this for 20 or 25 years and talking about how they grow their businesses so we kind of have this informal mastermind group and what I've discovered in the meantime, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And so I was into this for a few years before I realized there was such a thing as a mastermind group. So if you look in like in the thrive section of our website, for example, we talk about how to form your mastermind group and find folks to put in it and how to run it. Um, so that would probably be one of my first tips is find some folks that you can will help hold you accountable and will help you talk through the scary parts. I believe that is really, really important. You mentioned mastermind. It's one of my favorite concepts out there. Personally, this whole, not to digress from the interview, but I just wanted to share so people understand the importance of having a mastermind. Mm -hmm. This whole concept of career metas, everything started because I had a mastermind and people suggested I should start doing this a few years ago. And here we are. So I see the value. I think no matter what you do, it's good to have some type of support, people who are on the same path, who share your vision. So that's uh, that's very good to know. So thanks for talking about that. I think it's important regardless of what you do in any career. So that's uh, very, very important. So now I want to go into the, uh, going to the, no, the first point, operations. <laughs> if I can share my experience, <laughs> someone like me, figure things out on the go. Uh, I think right. anytime you start something, you don't really know what to do. And 
unless somebody asks you, send me an invoice. I said, okay, what is that? <laughs> uh, then you go to Google. So I'm glad you're doing something. Uh, can you spend some time talking about that? And are you laughing because I think people, your people you know have come across with the same problem as well. So well, I think it's it's almost universal. I think almost every freelancer has the same story. It's a very very common story, and then it continues, right? So now I'm very sophisticated. I know what an invoice is. But next week, it's something else. It's the next week. So the client says, okay, you send me a scope of work. They say, send me a sow. And, you know, to me, sow is a breeding animal. <laughs> um, so hey, I, you know, on Google now, I found out what a scope of work is. And the next week, it's something else. So I don't, you know, we're recording on this on Saturday. Monday, I'm going to need to do something for a client that it was unfamiliar to me. And that's just sort of the life of a solopreneur. And, and that is why you created the resources for them so they understand that. So instead of them trying to figure out from Google, uh, you, your goal at 10, Nation 1099 is to give them those that uh, information. Right, right. An example is um, like health insurance and, ins- and or retirement. That was a big one for me is the way our retirement plans work here in the U.S. Um, when you're an employee – You've got your you oftentimes not always you've got your employer's contribution toward your retirement plan and then you've got your own contribution toward your retirement plan coming out of your paycheck as an employee. Well, when you are self-employed, when you're a solopreneur or a freelancer, I could imagine I'm, I'm thinking this too in my head, like how, how am I going to recreate that retirement income? Well, I can take out enough to cover my personal contribution toward my retirement plan and put that aside into some kind of retirement plan. Uh, but how do I cover the employer side, the employer's contribution? Well, it turns out there is a way to do it. It's called a SEP IRA or self-employment. I forget what SEP stands for. Uh, but I didn't know it, right? So now we've got these articles. I had to figure it out myself. And then when we started Nation 1099, I should mention, by the way, that the editor who runs most of this is my colleague, Ben Shanbrom. So I say to Ben, let's make sure and get an article up about retirement plans because I couldn't find, that was a real mystery to me and I'm sure it is to a lot of other people. So we'll, we'll write articles that are basically responding to our own where we were confused a couple months ago. And people always love to hear that the author shares his or her personal perspective, right? I think that is one, one of the things I find in content marketing. It is, it is there's people love reading personal experiences. So, uh, so that's always good to give that, share that experience. Going to the third thing you do, which is strategy. Uh, you mentioned Harvard Business Review. Your goal or your vision is to make it the Harvard Business Review for solopreneurs. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, so maybe I'm a nerd this way, but you know, I'll be sitting around reading uh, my Harvard Business Reviews every month and the authors in them, like, uh, you know, I read Clayton Christensen's books and I read Rita McGrath's books and their theories about how to create growth for your business. And you're reading along in these books and the examples are Coca-Cola and Under Armour and Nike and General Motors and Tesla. And it's hard to relate, right? So I, I'm very interested in the theory. Let's take the the theory of a blue ocean strategy, for example. So I'm reading these articles in HBR about blue ocean strategy or about disruption in the case of Clayton Christensen. And I'm very interested in these theories, but it's hard to relate them to <laughs> a one-person 
consultancy and how you can use that those theories. Um, so I'm trying to connect the dots myself the best I can, but I'm no expert in this stuff. I'm you know I'm wishing it was out there. So admittedly, this is maybe the thinnest part of the site so far. We haven't quite achieved our vision. I invite your listeners. We are. Um, it's a, a forum, like I say, I'm, I try to act as a publisher and, and so we're not putting my opinion up there so much about this stuff. Uh, we're trying to get other experts to, uh, share their opinion. So if your listeners have, um, ways they want to talk about strategy and entrepreneurship and growing businesses, uh, beyond just the operational stuff, we'd love to hear, hear from them. One example that we have had, uh, we talk about market segmentation and developing a marketing persona for your business. So those are bigger strategic questions than kind of the operational stuff that we were discussing before. And we're looking for more of it. Thank you. So it seems like your vision with Nation 1099 is to make this a one-stop shop for solopreneurs where they get a little bit of everything they're looking for, learning the how-tos, how to run their operation a little bit more smoothly, learn more about strategy, and of course, to get inspired yeah. uh, on, on, their, on their vision or on their work as well. As we are coming towards the end of our interview here, Robert, I wanted to ask you, uh, any last words, anything you would like to add or share with the listeners? If you don't mind, we've got a resource to share with folks if they're interested. We can put it up on our website. Ben and I were talking about this yesterday, and we said, let's put something together, especially for these listeners. So uh, what we have in mind is a simple checklist for finding your ideal freelance or consulting clients. And this is based on what we've heard from the many people we've interviewed. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things on our site is we have this series called um, – Oh, goodness, I'm forgetting the name of the series. It's, but it's with solos, with uh, solopreneurs, and they're the, sort of these short Q&As. I've done a number of these, and over time, we're learning a lot from folks as we do them. So bundling up some of what we learned from folks, we have this idea for this uh, checklist on finding your ideal freelancer consulting clients. And we created this checklist especially for your listeners, and we're putting up on a page especially for you. So to get that, if you're interested, just go to nation1099.com slash careermetis. Um, and we'll have that uh, download for folks right there. Thanks for offering that, Robert. I think it'll be a good. I encourage the listeners to go check it out. Um, as I met, one of the things I failed to mention at the beginning of the interview, one of the growing categories of content on careermedis.com is freelance careers. So mm -hmm. there is there seems to be a lot of interest. It is regardless of someone having a full time job. Many people have a side hustle or planning to. Uh, or even eventually growing out of it to doing this full time. So uh, I would I'd definitely add the link when I write the content for this podcast and I'll, I'll write it there so people can find it easily. Robert, it has been a pleasure. I learned a little bit more about the freelance economy or the gig economy. That one of the things about these interviews is I learn a lot. <laughs> yes, the listeners as well. So I appreciate your time and sharing your ideas, sharing your experience. Sure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm really glad to have been a guest. I've been, like I say, I learn a lot from uh, your podcast, listening to your previous guests. Thank you very much for that feedback as well. Thanks, folks, for listening to this episode of the Career Medis podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview with links to uh, Robert's uh, website as part of a blog post. If you liked what you heard, feel free to subscribe to the Career Medis podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. If you enjoyed this particular episode and learned something new, feel free to post a comment or a review. And if you really loved it, definitely go ahead and share this episode among your network. 
Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmed, your host for the Career Medis Podcast. Thank you.